I'm Emmy Award-winning TV reporter Mara Esquivel-Campo, joined by Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Lowry and former senior magazine editor Keith Reed. Today on Run Tell This, writer Brian Broom on his debut book, Punch Me Up to the Gods. His memoir of growing up black and gay in Ohio has been called electrifying, powerful, spectacular, and more. Why his story is changing conversations about masculinity and sexuality in the black community. Brian, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Sure thing. Uh, congratulations on this book. The uh, reviews are excellent. And I will say that a dear friend of mine is trying to take some credit for it being so fantastic. Rakia Clark is saying that this was all her handiwork. I'm going to give her all the credit. <laughs> she deserves it all. I'm afraid of her. She is a taskmaster. Like, um, no, Rakia uh, was a great help in terms of uh, making this book and helping it all come together in terms of editing and even beyond uh, you know, promotion. She's just there for everything. She's uh, amazing. So um, tell us about the book. It's a very powerful and poignant memoir of, you know, the very specific um, circumstance you growing up in the 70s um, and struggling with identity and kind of the issues around, um, you know, black, being a black man and toxic masculinity and, and a lot of the things that we're talking about today. Um, well, the book is basically um, my journey through being a black gay man, um, trying to deal with those issues of masculinity, fitting in, uh, you know, racism from one side, homophobia from the other. And it's a collection of stories about me just desperately trying to make everyone like me, despite the fact that I felt that I was born wrong. Um, so some of the stories are a little more uh, heart-wrenching than others. Some of them I think are actually really funny. Um, but yeah, it's my journey to where I've gotten to now, which is like, I don't really wanna care anymore what anybody thinks of me. And you know, kind of one of the, the core themes is really that you know, there's this humanity um, that in trying to make you more of a quote unquote man, in a lot of ways, people were stripping you of your humanity, of who you really were. Can you tell us about that, about that conflict between, I mean, repeat at every turn, whether it was your classmates or your father, people were trying to make you behave more like a man. And it was kind of distancing you from your own self. Right. I think that people were trying to behave, make me behave more in a way that made them comfortable with me. And I think a lot of us have to deal with that. You know, the body that you're born into, you are expected to perform to a certain extent. Um, I was expected to perform as a black man. And there were these kind of rules around what a black man could do and not do. For instance, writing um, was one of the things that I was told was, quote unquote, faggy. Um, stop doing that. That's what girls do. You know, men don't write about their feelings because men don't have feelings. Um, that was a box that I was trying to be shoved into. Um, they kept putting balls in my hand, sports balls, footballs. <laughs> <laughs> strike that. Strike that. That may have came off, come off wrong. Well, it's uh, funny no, it both wasn't, ways. It wasn't you. It's, it, it's, it's, it wasn't you. It's Mara's no, no, no. completely inappropriate. She can't. No. So I she just, took she, it. She was, I she when you said it, I knew I knew she was gonna go left. It's no, I took it the way it. I took it the way you meant it. God is my witness, and I think that that is funny. That the definition of manhood is like here, go play with this. Go play with this, and you know, I they kept putting footballs and basketballs and baseballs in my hand, and I had no I had no use for any of them. You know, so I was expected to perform sports. Uh, you know, I was expected to perform obviously with girls, women. Um, and so it's just my, uh, you know, my, my tales of trying to do that 
sometimes disastrously, actually most of the time disastrously. Um, and you know how I've gotten to where I am now. And I, I hope that it's um, uh, heartening to people who might find themselves in that position of having to perform this identity that other people have cast them in. I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the I'm sorry, Mario. I, I just I want to talk a little bit about, about the, the, the settings in, in the book, right? Because you, you are, you're, you're, you're in Pittsburgh now, right? I am. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm also in Pittsburgh. I, I grew up here, lived away for a long time, uh, but, oh. but moved back. And this is, this is a, but you grew up in Northeast Ohio, um, yes. which is, an industrial area, very Rust Belt, very so there's so that setting of place, I think, also plays a plays a, a a large role. And I don't know if it's necessarily explicit in some of the stories that you tell in the book, but I do think that like your geography also plays some of the some of the roles. Like if you grew up in a place like a Pittsburgh or like a, a northeast Ohio where it's where where, you know, these are cities that were industrialized, they were very blue collar, like you know, people went to work in factories, people worked, at, you know, went to work in, you know, in uniforms and, and things of that nature where they didn't necessarily come in contact with people who were writers or who, would, you know, had liberal arts degrees. And like it, that wasn't by and large a, a thing, especially if you were in communities of, of color, which brings which is a whole other thing. Can you talk about the role of the role of place in, in some of these cities and in, in the regions uh, that, that the region that you grew up in and also where you where we both sit today. Sure. Um, you know, growing up in Northeast Ohio in the 70s and 80s was, um, you know, everybody worked in a factory. Um, everybody mm -hmm. worked in a steel mill or a bumper factory, automotive factory. And that kind of place, um, you know, nurtures a certain kind of attitude uh, in terms of gender roles, in terms of what a man should be, in terms of what a woman mm -hmm. should be man you know it wasn't that long ago but it feels like ages ago now you know a man's job was to go to work uh work hard bust his back come home tired sweaty uh cranky <laughs> you know and dinner was supposed to be on the table you know um and that's the kind of family that i grew up in my father um when the steel mill uh closed um when he was laid off was um all at sea like he didn't know what else he could do and that um, therein lies kind of a, a, you know, a turning point in my story, in the book, things changed. Um, he expected um, his sons to be more manly. Um, the, I saw that I saw it in my neighborhood, you know, the attitudes changed. Also, you know, obviously the financial situations of a lot of people changed. Um, and white and black. And that, in, in that situation, when everybody is struggling, then the racism, I think, gets stronger. Mm -hmm. um, people, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, a lot of white people wanted more desperately to separate themselves from black people to prove themselves uh, as better than. So the racism got stronger. The need to be manly got stronger. And there I was, you know, with my little gay self, sitting in the middle of it, watching it happen, and having people expect me again to perform this role of black man. And you bring up, um, and you've brought up a couple of times now, kind of the intersectionality between sexuality and race. How do you think your experience is different and has been different as a black man and the expectations that are placed on black men, as opposed to if you had been going through the same thing and the same struggles with identity um, and your sexuality as a white man? Yeah, I, I, I used to think oftentimes that, uh, that uh, 
you know, black people were more homophobic. I used to think that. Do you not believe I, that anymore? I do not believe that anymore. I've come to a place where I realize that homophobia from black people just feels different to me. Um, it feels more personal to me. Um, it hurts more um, when black people are homophobic because then I feel like, you know, well, then where do I go? You know, you can't, you know, you don't really feel like you have a home. You're not wanted in one community, nor are you wanted in the other. Um, but I do feel that black men are under more of uh, a microscope when it comes to these ideas of masculinity. Black men are expected to be uh, more, quote unquote, manly um, than, than men in general. Um, and I think there are specific reasons for that. I think that racism um, has made it such that black men feel, um, you know, like we have to be the toughest men in the room. We have to be the most masculine men in the room. But, you know, and it's not black men that I, I blame for that. It's these sort of attitudes, I think, that are the villain. Um, because masculinity has been, been uh, twisted to mean not just taking care of your family, not just being, you know, a good provider, but also that you have to dominate somebody, um, that somebody has to be weaker than you in order for you to be perceived as masculine. It, it, it changed. I think it used to be about just being a good provider and a good husband and a good father and things like that. But over time, I think it changed into this idea of domination. And when I think about, you know, the idea of domination and, and how black women oftentimes are brought into that um, situation where a man feels that he has to be dominant, the boss, et cetera, men like my father, um, then we, we run into trouble. But I think that those ideas should be examined more closely. How did you come to believe? Where did, where did that belief come from that in the black community was more homophobia than elsewhere, than, than among because white when people? Because when I was a kid, you know, I, was, I lived in a black neighborhood so where I was getting the most homophobia was from other black people. Um, that's where it started. But again, I was a kid. I hadn't seen the world yet. You know, I don't think black people mm. are in general more homophobic than anybody else. Uh, again, I just feel like when black people are homophobic, um, it hurts me more. It just affects me more. And it may feel to me more uh, that black people are more homophobic. But when I look at it on balance, you know, I know that that's not the case. But I so will say, though, sense. and, and it, it makes perfect mm -hmm. sense, but I actually, and my opinion on this means very, very little, but, and it's possible because it's a, an issue of exposure, right? The communities that you have more exposure to, you're going to know more intimately. Right. But my father's white. I have, have contact with more white members of my family than black ones just because the black side is smaller. And so I do have a great deal of exposure to white Americans as well. And I have often felt that black people are more homophobic. And the reason I felt that is because I feel that black people are generally much more faith oriented. Yes. Because we needed our faith to survive everything that we went through. And so the homophobia that I hear from, from the black community is rooted in faith. Yeah. It's rooted in the Bible. And because of that, it's unapologetic. It's like, mm -hmm. this is the way God wants it. And I'm going to fight for God and I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'm not going to bend on this at all. And I've also found it extremely disappointing 
Because if anybody should understand what oppression feels like and being marginalized and not accepted feels like, it should be black people. So I'm surprised to hear you say that you have now changed that opinion because my perspective has always been that the black community is among the most homophobic. I mean, I've been to mega churches, black churches, for thousands of black people in one room and the pastor is railing against homosexuality and there's the amens and the shouts and the cheers and it is appalling. Yeah, I have also been in attendance at those services, and I agree with you completely that a lot of it does come from uh, faith, uh, you know, uh, Christian faith. But, you know, I as I moved out into the world, you know, I found that and this is what, you know, what I've been finding that there are far. I'm not finding all these homophobic black people that, you know, I used to think existed in the you know, as I move around, it's particularly black men. You know, I had a I had a, uh, a real belief that black men were more homophobic. Nowadays, you know, maybe it's the times that have changed. I don't know. But nowadays, when I, um, you know, tell somebody that I, that I don't know that well, a black person, a black man that I've just met, um, that I'm gay, the reaction that I get normally is, okay, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, do you, buddy? You know, right. I mean, um, so I... I really still maybe maybe it's more that I would like to believe that black people aren't as homophobic as I believe they are. I'm fine with that. If I'm lying to myself, that's fine, you know, because that <laughs> makes me it makes me feel more comfortable in the world. But I have run up against that religious homophobia. And oftentimes I find that that religious homophobia is used as an excuse for the masculine homophobia. You know, people will say, God says this, God says that, God says you shouldn't be this way. But what they're really masking is like, you don't, you shouldn't be out here being assisted in front of these white people. You know, um, it is a protection of masculinity. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's masculinity that they're protecting, but they're using faith um, in a way uh, that, that, that masks that, if that makes any sense. And I think, and I think in, that, in that area, it becomes a more Conversations around around homophobia in black spaces becomes complex and and and, and shape shifts a, a little bit. And tell me if you if, where I'm incorrect in in this in your in your experience. A lot of black men, many of who, many black men I know, feel that masculinity in black spaces itself has always been attacked however you define masculinity they think that mas- they feel like masculine black masculinity has has come under attack the ability that that ability or that definition of black men to be able to provide for their families they feel like that's been under attack because of the economic situation or the educational situation that many black men find themselves in they feel like black masculinity and, and the positioning of black men as leaders in their communities whether spiritual leaders or spirit or leaders in their households has come under attack because of mass incarceration because of policing because of all, all these other things and so in the absence of the of these sorts of sorts of quote-unquote traditional structural roles, that black that that men have played in our specifically patriarchal society, when those things become erased or when those things aren't aren't available, then lots of men look around and and, and see someone who's gay and, and go, wait a minute, like that's a that then is another attack. That then is an is another thing that's that's saying like, you don't, we don't value quote unquote manly straight black men. So there, so therefore, there must be this 
I don't know, conspiracy or whatever it is that they that they think it is to promote homosexual homosexuality. Is that is that a thing that you've encountered? Is that is that something that? Yeah, it's something that I've encountered. You know, I've seen a lot of people on that that you know the toilet of the internet, social media, um, saying that. Wait, kind are of you thing. saying that social media is the toilet of the internet? Oh God, yes. Oh God, <laughs> I'm on it all. I'm on it all the time. So please take that with a grain of salt. You know, but I do see you know a lot of people espousing beliefs that I I that leave me bewildered. To answer your question, you know, you say that there are a lot of um, you know, black men who look around and they see all these gay dudes and they see, you know, this different structures and things changing. Um, and, you know, the, the role of the black man as leader um, may be diminishing. I don't see that myself, but if they are seeing it, I think that you said something interesting. You said they look out and they see all this stuff and then they think that, that you know, that they are under attack. But my, my hope would be that, that they would look inward, you know, and, and see maybe something about myself has to change. Maybe something about the way that I view the world and its structures has to change. Maybe it's not everybody else attacking me. Maybe I'm just being stringent in my belief that I should be this particular thing. Um, and maybe that needs to be modified in order to uh, live harmoniously, uh, you know, in, in my community or whatever, you know, it's the need to be the, the boss that I think um, needs to change a little bit. You know, that's what masculinity has traditionally been. You know, I am the boss, I am the leader, I am the man. But I think that that has to change. I think that we have to start dealing with the, you know, the, the fact that times are changing. They have been for a very long time. But if you're gonna be stubborn about this position that you feel you need to hold uh, in the world, then you're going to be upset a lot of time because the world will change. Um, men and women's roles will change, you know, uh, gender norms will change, and you'll still be stuck railing against it all if you don't look in. The expectation of, of masculinity, of the of the role, the, all of the things that you describe of dominating, of, of, you know, you come home grumpy and dirty and your job is this and you, you have you to have a woman to fit into, you know, the role of submission and all of the expectations that you were raised with, they, they were stealing something from you from your ability to express your full self yeah and i i i have to guess that you are not the only man that's felt that way yeah i i think that you know me personally you know i was never able to 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 fit into any sort of masculine role i was an absolute failure at it uh, uh you know from the from the moment i i was born i just i couldn't do it i i can only what it took for me was just you know, I was ashamed my whole life, just a whole life of shame. You know, I regret like all, like so many years of my life because of that shame and living with it. But I can only guess that with the kind of man who believes in full on dominant masculinity, that he, I don't think he is living full existence. I don't think that when you deny yourself feelings, when you deny yourself um, you know, so the softer feelings other than, you know, anger and maybe lust, you know, these are the two feelings that are promoted, I think, in men, um, and dominance. I think that when you only allow yourself to feel certain feelings, that you are denying yourself the full, you know, spectrum of human existence. You know, you are not only a man, you are a human being. And a human being, I think, in this life should be allowed fully to experience um, every human emotion without shame. And I think a lot of black men 
um, you know, I don't know what it's like to hang out with a lot of straight men, you know, I mean, maybe Keith could tell me, I don't know, but like, um, you know, I think that certain, certain emotions, certain feelings are shamed, you know, and that, that's what I think a large part of masculinity is, you know, when you're born, you're normal, you cry, you laugh, you do things, you have interests, you have curiosity and along, and along your journey, people shame you out of, um, specific behaviors and emotions. And I think that, um, you know, when you see this big guy that this is masculine, and you know, I'm going to be the boss. I think that I'm looking at a man who has been shamed out of the full spectrum of human emotion. Powerful way to put it. So then what does this moment mean for you? Um, being able to share your story and being able to live in your truth. It means my knees are knocking and I am nervous and this book comes out next week and everybody gonna know my business. <laughs> <laughs> everybody gonna know. Everybody gonna know and they're gonna judge and they're gonna say things and um, you know, and I and I feel that coming already, you know. Um, and I'm gonna get cussed out on on the toilet of the internet. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, well, no, I don't have anything to be ashamed about anymore. It's all there, you know, I'm poor black queer from Northeastern Ohio, you know, um, I used to just lie and tell people that I was all kinds of other things and, and try to fit in with other people and wearing different hats for different people. And, you know, I don't think that I'm going to have to do that anymore after next week. Um, I think that there's a whole new person that's going to be dealing with the public. The way that I'm speaking to you right now, I would have never, ever uh, said these words, um, you know, eight years ago when I was still um, in the bottle and still using drugs. You know, that was my way of escaping who I am. So now I feel like maybe I don't have to escape anymore, but no, I guess we'll see. What, well, what did you feel like you need to... I, I, I had to get this one question. Why did you feel like you needed to to write this book? You talked about like the the the, the nervousness, the anxiety that you that you feel, and how the public is going to receive it. And it's a very personal uh, collection of collection of stories about about yourself. What it wasn't a it wasn't a a coming out in that you you were not um, circumspect about your about your sexual orientation at this point in your life. So it wasn't like you were you were you weren't writing this book to tell the world, hey, I'm a I'm a gay man. That's not what what's happening here. You were writing this book for for another reason to to tell a different kind of a story. So what what is it that made you feel like you needed to write this very personal collection <clears throat> of stories at this moment in your life? Oh, I didn't feel that at all. <laughs> um, you know what happened was I ended up going to rehab. Um, because I just abused drugs and alcohol for years and years and years, like a, in a blackout for at least 20 years, you know, um, and I ended up in rehab. And when I went to rehab, I was sitting um, in my room uh, and I had this roommate and he was a big dude and he just snored like you wouldn't believe. And I couldn't sleep at night. And um, as I said, I used to write when I was younger um, and I was up nights with him just snoring in the bed, you know, 10 feet away. And I grabbed the pen and the paper that they gave me, you know, in rehab. And I just started writing. I, I, and I wrote on a theme. I wrote like, okay, why am I here? Why am I here in this rehab? You know? And so I just started to write the stories 
that I thought were kind of watershed moments in my life. And when I, when I was getting them all down, I thought these stories all have a theme. And that theme is shame. You know, shame of being black, shame of being gay, uh, shame of being a certain kind of gay, shame of being poor, you know. And when I got out of rehab, um, you know, I just had all these writings sitting around. I was still writing. I was afraid to go anywhere because I was afraid that I would relapse. I went back to school. Um, one night, I and I started doing performances around Pittsburgh. Um, and one night, a, a woman walked up and said, hey, I'd like to be your agent. And I was like, I don't know what the hell that means, but okay. Um, and she said, what do you got in terms of writing? And I said, I have these stories um, that I wrote, a lot of them in rehab. I wrote some of them, you know, uh, while I was sort of convalescing from rehab in my house. And I gave them to her. And she said, this, this, sound, this feels like a memoir. This feels like a book. Rakia also said the same thing. We gave the stories to Rakia and she said, this is a, this is a memoir. You know? And I said, it is. And she said, yes, let's get to work. And so that's how the book came to be. So I'm on this journey one step at a time like everybody else. You know, because it wasn't like I decided, hey, I'm going to write a book. A book happened. Um, you know, from my writing. And then I was constantly under the delusion that this is never going to happen. This is never going to happen. I don't mm -hmm. know what everybody's talking about. This is not going, you know, whatever. And now here we are, you know, a week before the release. So I am uh, experiencing this in real time, um, in a way. Um, and, and that's, that's how the book came to be. Mm. Um, well, congratulations. It's getting a lot of early praise. I think you're going to be surprised at the reception. I don't think even even the toilet of the internet, I don't think is um, <laughs> going to do the things that you are fearful of. I think you're going to get a lot of applause for your courage. I think you're going to get a lot of love. Um, so ho hopefully you'll be pleasantly surprised. And congratulations for just living your truth. I mean, that's the ultimate gift, right? Now you're free. Thank you. Thank you. I Yeah, I feel I feel free, but we'll see. I mean, you know, when I get cussed out, we'll see. But, no. <laughs> Cuss them back. I have a feeling that you can give it as good as you get it. I have a feeling I can't too. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much. The book is Punch Me Up to the Gods. Um, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Both of you. Thanks. Hey, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. And the conversation continues on social media. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RuntellThis underscore. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. Run Tell This is an independent production of Mara Scampo, Inc.